Chris Hong, and I am here with my colleague Mark Schwantz. Hello, everybody. And Alejandro Trivera. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be back here for another great session of Tech Lasso. And Scott Moss. Hi, Chris. Great to be here. Today, I want to introduce you to the best dressed ITO coordinator on the team, Kapui Yip, who actually goes by Kip. Uh, Kip, if you could just go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us where did you get the name Kip from? How I got that name actually is a, is a long story. Uh, so the short story, short version is it's K Yip, Kapui Yip, or uh, my name is spelled K A P U I and last name Yip. Um, however, it, it actually came about because um, I, came, I immigrated to this country when I was very young, age five. And so my actual name, my real name, as pronounced correctly, should be Yip Kapui because surnames are first in Chinese. But Kapui is not really translatable. So whatever immigration officer decided to spell it is how they spelled it. And they spelled it after after high school. I, I uh, got admitted to uh, MIT in Massachusetts. So I flew out and moved to Boston. And of course, nobody knew me there. And uh, the first week in college, uh, I'm rushing to meet millions of people and uh, all trying to introduce myself. And uh, well, let's see. How do I say this story shortly? Whenever I introduce myself as Kapui, everyone stares back at me blankly and says something completely non-sounding like it. And so it just took way too long to introduce myself as that. And so I just introduced myself as Kip, actually, because it was a joke in high school. I had a teacher uh, who, for some strange reason, kept calling me Kip. And everyone around me, all my friends, everyone in the classroom knew my name was Kapui, but he kept calling me Kip. And he kept would say, you wanted me to call you Kip, right? And so it became an uh, inside joke among my friends to call me Kip. But then when I got to college, that's when I was meeting so many people, I decided to just go by Kip. And so based on who, what name you call me, I know when I met you. So that's the long version of why my name is Kip. I'm just wondering, how did you get into the tech part? Because you talked about MIT briefly, like what led you to MIT and what were you studying at MIT? Uh, yeah, I got into education in a, a very roundabout way. Um, I, you know, I did well in school. So when I, you know, applying to colleges, I was very math science oriented um, just because I, they were fun. I liked it. I enjoyed learning. I enjoyed learning about sciences. Uh, math, not so much, but, you know, it's logical and, you know, I can plug my way through it. Uh, and so I, when I applied to colleges, I applied only to really technical type schools uh, like MIT, uh, Rensselaer, uh, Harvey Mudd, all the science geeky schools. And I got into MIT, luckily. And uh, moved over there. And and my goal in life, ever since like the fourth grade or so, that's when I really fell in love with science. And I love the field of science. And so ever since the fourth grade, I assumed my life path was to become a scientist, to become someone who investigates and explores and learn more about the world. Um, and the field I had chosen, you know, over the years that I found I liked most was chemistry. I mean, I liked them all, but chemistry was that really a, a, a great way to explore uh, the world and understand the world. So that was my ch chosen major when I entered college. And my expectation for myself for many years was that I'd be a scientist. And then when I saw this flyer that says teach high school, uh, your senior year, I was like intrigued because I had more units than I needed. I was a way ahead. Uh, this was my freshman year. I was already way ahead 
and credits and everything. So I figured, okay, what is this? And it's, it, I read it and it's basically you take a, a handful of other classes like education, psychology, et cetera. And I, in Massachusetts, you're allowed to get your teaching degree in four years. You, it's not like California where you have to get a, a four years and then a fifth year, either a master's or just a fifth year to get your teaching credential. In Massachusetts, as long as you meet the requirements of taking all the classes, you can actually get it done as an undergrad. And so I said, hey, I've got all these extra classes. I mean, I had all these extra credits I don't need. So why not just take a handful of classes and I could get my teaching credential? Not that I wanted to teach high school, but rather I thought I'd be done a semester early anyway. So why not for the last semester teach high school just for fun? And uh, the next two, three years when I was taking the extra education courses, I just found them more interesting. No, I shouldn't say more interesting. I guess more engaging than my chemistry classes. I mean, chemistry is great. I still love it. Uh, still love the sciences. But my junior year, I was spending 30 hours a week in a lab. Um, and senior year, I was spending, I don't know how many, about 20 hours a week in a classroom. And it was just so much more enjoyable interacting with people than equipment. And that's in my senior year, I just decided, you know what, I'd, I'd rather do that. <laughs> I'd rather teach. I'd rather work with people uh, than the lab. Uh, and that's when I decided to make the switch. And uh, when I graduated, I, didn't go to, I did not go to uh, get my master's in chemistry. I went and got, uh, went directly into teaching. And that's how I started my teaching career. Uh, tech was another random thing just because uh, I used tech. I, in college, I had a computer and I just used it a lot. I stumbled on and and I happened to catch that wave when schools were changing over to using more tech and I was there. So, uh, Can you describe your journey into educational technology and how that came about? I actually was trying to stay away from the tech field because I was more into uh, wanting to do more administrative stuff, PD things. Uh, and, and that's how I got, uh, that's how, when I left the classroom, my first move was not in the tech world, even though I did a lot of tech stuff uh, and it seemed logical for me to go that way. I actually went and did work in the district office doing categorical programs, helping do budgets uh, and helping uh, the district, you know, uh, run its different programs. And again, I would use a ton of tech to help support my work in that, right? So if I'm doing analysis of different uh, programs, I would run reports and collect a lot of data on it. And so I did that, on again, on the side <laughs> to support what I was doing. So, uh, and eventually it caught up to me and people said they needed me to help teach, train people on, on tech. And so that's how I got involved in that. So, Kip, at a recent QLA Palooza event, you had a poster session on using social media to teach students as a way to engage them. Can you describe a little bit more of what your poster session was about? Uh, certainly. Uh, a lot of people hear using social media as a teaching tool, and they all, you know, first thing they think of is, oh, I don't want to bring social media into the classroom. Uh, we block it. We do that. And I'm not actually advocating that. I am suggesting utilizing the, the medium of social media as a way to engage students. And so what that means is all kids are using Instagram right now. They're used to that format as a way to communicate with one another. Uh, they text with one another. They do not hold phone calls with one another. If a phone call rings of a voice phone, they ignore it. They don't really know who it is. So 
since that's how they're communicating, I'm suggesting that we utilize that communication skill in our teaching and learning in the classroom. And so the way I kind of presented it at Q uh, was the idea of using uh, a simple tool like PowerPoint or Google Slides, uh, nothing fancy, nothing complicated, and nothing connected to the internet, but rather using those tools to create uh, backgrounds that simulate the experience of Instagram. You tell the kids, okay, we're studying Julius Caesar, and we're talking about the promotion of Julius Caesar to Caesar, actually, he was just Julius at the time, to turn him into Caesar because he's advocating the end of the triumvirate. How would he post that on Instagram? What would he do to convince his fellow uh, Romans to uh, support him as their supreme leader? And that is a communication tool they're familiar with. They know how to uh, convince and share with others uh, their message. And what we want to do is just tap into that skill. And so they get more excited about it. If you tell them to write a five-page essay, it's tedious and they're not excited about it. And now there's ChatGPT, so they could probably do it very quickly uh, without actually any knowledge. But yet, if you ask them to give a visual representation of a concept, uh, they could probably do that. And you and you would be able to, uh, to assess whether or not they really understood the concepts by having a discussion with them, analyzing and talking about the different posts that they create. So they're not actually posting it on Instagram. They're not actually uh, texting to strangers or going on any of the uh, forums, uh, but you're simulating that process. Technology can really help transform the way we teach so that we allow the kids to create and build uh, their knowledge using technology, not learning the technology for for sake of understanding technology, but really to build upon uh, our understanding of you know science, history, math, um, and allowing the computer to help guide us, not guide us, that's the wrong word, facilitate and, and make it easier for us to do it, to be able to have all that data in your hand, tip of your hands to do analysis of science and history and math, uh, English um, is just a wonderful tool. So that means we may have to teach differently you know, if, if you're only reading a book and analyzing it orally, yes, that's a great way to analyze a piece of text, um, but there are other ways to analyze text. Uh, and that might be more engaging uh, that technology can help play a role in. As we know, technology changes very rapidly. And especially now there's a lot of uh, concern and discussion about the new uh, artificial intelligence technologies. How do you stay current with the latest developments in educational technology? And uh, also, how do you evaluate these new technologies to determine um, how they might fit with uh, schools or other, uh, other stakeholders that you interact with? Well, I think it just goes back to me being just uber geeky um, and, and really loving all things new and staying abreast of what's going on and, and, and learning. I mean, that love of learning that drove, got me into teaching uh, keeps me updated on, on what's happening, what's going on in the world uh, in terms of technology and everything else. And then in terms of applying it to education, it, it I, I guess I look at it um, a differently in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of educational technology companies out there. And when I look at them and I review them and I find what they offer is usually lacking from what I, I'd like to see them offer. 
I look at new technologies such as the new generative AIs that are, are coming up, and that's that's in the in the news everywhere, and everyone's concerned about it, and everybody's talking about it. Whenever something like that comes up, I always look at it as, well, how could be this be used in in, in classroom? It, it's it's unavoidable. This is is something that's going to happen because it is such a improvement in the lives of working people. So, if that's the case, then why would we limit it? in education. And so uh, I guess, look, uh, let's go back. It's kind of a parallel um, uh, a, a, a parallel situation with tech education technology. When the internet became very, very popular beyond the basic worldwide web hyperlink thing, when it moved to web 2.0 and we're dealing with a lot of collaborative tools, the industry was in, uh, uh, embracing it because it helped businesses and people work together collaboratively, and that was a great thing so seeing how that was embraced by the business community it's like there's nowhere we're going back this is the future and yet schools at the time were having a difficulty understanding well how, we don't want kids to collaborate because that means they could cheat uh it's the same discussion that's going on now so what we need to do is embrace web 2.0 tools at the time to say how do we use it to help learning and help improve learning Knowing that collaboration is how they work in the workplace, we should be utilizing those skills in the classroom. And so generative AI is the same deal. It's going to happen because businesses need it to help them write their memos, help them draft their reports, help them do everything, uh, translate one email, you know, one language to another. So that's all happening in, in, in the real world. And that's, and they, so schools, can't block it off and say, oh, no, no, kids can cheat and write their own essays. Right. If, if a computer can write an essay, the kid does not need to. But the kid does need to analyze the information in the essay and understand what's true, factual, uh, can be cited, can be referenced. Those skills are still necessary for the, for the essay to be valid. And so we need to be using generative AI to tell kids, okay, this technology exists. How do we use it so that we can learn to be better humans and better, better people in the society? That's that's great, Kip. Uh, I totally agree with you. And, you know, right now, as we record this, uh, like you said, chat GPT and generative AI, uh, everyone's talking about this, especially in education. So whether it's the generative AI or some other technology, uh, we know that sometimes we encounter resistance, whether, you know, very often people say, well, that sounds great, but there's not enough time, or they just don't see how it fits in. Do you have any particular strategies or ideas for how to handle the resistance that we sometimes encounter? Yeah, that's always difficult, uh, dealing with resistance. And I think it's just come to comfort level, right? Um, I, I like to always tell the story that, um, when I first got into teaching, you know, 30 some odd years ago, I remember my first year teaching going into the uh, staff lounge, uh, the Xerox machine, or actually it was a mimeograph machine. And there was only one Xerox machine in the, in the entire building. Uh, the rest of us were using mimeographs. Uh, and I, there was this one teacher who had all his lessons. He was just so organized. He had all his lessons in file folders and in these big cardboard boxes. And he would date them like this is week one week two week three and every single folder was filled with lessons and he would just say okay i need to plan for next week and planning for next week meant for him to pull out you know week two and and make a bunch of copies and so he had all his lessons planned out for the whole year 
it wasn't that he planned out the whole, it was that he had the same lessons year after year after year. It was just the same stuff because the standards weren't changing. They were still teaching the same stuff. And I think that's the hard part to get over that when I, when I, you know, that when I started teaching, I thought, oh, that's what I need to aspire to. After my first year of teaching, I said, there's no way. Because the next year, I revamped all my lessons. Same content, but the way I taught it was completely different based on how things went the year before. And so um, I think it's embracing that attitude that it's like, no, you don't use a standard lesson that you've always had. You still have the same content. That doesn't change. But rather, how do we teach it in a way that's more meaningful to today's kids? When it comes to educations and teachers, if it's not intuitive, that I feel like do you feel like that's one of the hesitations as to why tech integration in a classroom is difficult sometimes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know how I adopt technology or what I find useful. It's something I need to be able to pick up and use fairly intuitively. Being in professional development and training teachers for many years, that's absolutely a true statement right there, that if a teacher can't pick it up and use it right away without a huge learning curve, they're not going to do it. And I don't care how great it, can, it is or can be, um, just the number of teachers you can affect will be minimal if you can't get them on board right away. Um, and so, yeah, so my my personal way I train and, and work with folks, I want to make sure that it's something out of the box they can work on, use, and modify to their needs right away, and they don't have to learn. What advice do you have for teachers who may be hesitant to take up tech in the classroom? Take baby steps. Uh, be okay with the fact that you don't know it all. I know teachers tend to go, you know, to be the, the the person who knows everything and help impart their knowledge on kids. But with technology, uh, you know, as as techie as I am, I know the younger generations are much more knowledgeable in its use than I. Uh, and be okay with that, and introduce it, and allow your young people to uh, to show us stuff. And because it isn't about learning how to do something on the computer, it's about learning. And so if I'm teaching my chemistry, that's what I want them to learn. I don't, don't want to get bogged down by teaching uh, the technology behind it. It's okay that the kids are more tech savvy than you. Well, Kip, this has been just fantastic to have you share about your journey and especially the uh, comments you had here about advice to teachers. And I think that your approach is one that uh, I would recommend. And that is, you know, focus on what really works and uh, how technology can and does really transform our teaching and learning. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with us as we close today? Uh, no, thank you, gentlemen, for uh, speaking with me this afternoon. The Tech Lasso podcast is produced by the ITO coordinator team. We are part of the Technology Learning and Support Services Department at the Los Angeles County Office of Education. This work is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. And use our response form to be considered for inclusion in future episodes. Let us know what you're thinking. Also, share your thoughts via Twitter at Laco underscore ITO and on Facebook at LACO ITO. 
follow us on LinkedIn at LACO-ITO. Thank you.